I have a, a message that is on the topic that you see or will see soon overhead here uh, in the defense of our faith. And uh, I feel this is a very timely and very important message. Uh, we need to be able to, do, to defend what we believe because our faith is under attack from a lot of different corners. New atheists, for example, just say that our faith is blind. You know, we, we don't have any evidence for the truth of our faith. Skeptics claim the Bible is, is based on ancient myths. Uh, they claim that the Bible contradicts itself in a number of places. They said first chapter of Genesis, second chapter of Genesis are two creation stories. They just don't agree with each other. Uh, they say that people in Moses' days couldn't write, so how could Moses have written the first five books of the Bible? Uh, the Hittites mentioned the Old Testament never even existed, they said. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, not real places, mentioned first in Genesis 14, verse 2. And scientific statements in the Bible can't be believed. Uh, Jesus never rose from the grave. That's what skeptics are saying. Do you know how to answer those questions? As a believer, do you, can you answer those questions? And one a common question is, where did Cain get his wife? You know, can you answer that question? And uh, so if you can't yet, uh, come to hear Don uh, DeYoung speak uh, next Sunday in the Sunday School Hours. So how do we deal with these atheists and skeptics? How can we and how do we defend what we believe? And the question I always like to ask, uh, which is at the... Uh, bottom of the screen here, is does your truth, what you believe to be true, match reality? I believe the Bible is true. How do we defend it? Can you defend the word? So let me just open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the meat of uh, the message. Father, we just come to you just to um, uh, bring this message to you, and uh, we just pray that you would give me the right words to say as we go through it. Uh, we pray for uh, Bill and his, his uh, mother as well. And we just pray for a good recovery for her and uh, be with her daughter as she takes care of, of her. And uh, Bill, give him traveling mercies coming back. And Lord, as we look at the world situation today, we see there's chaos all over. Uh, not just uh, here, uh, as we see about the candidates we are going to be looking at uh, this evening at the, during the debate. Uh, we just pray for their uh, salvation as well, Lord. You are still in control. We know that. And uh, you can work miracles. And so we, we look for you to do a work in their hearts, Lord. And yet we shouldn't back off. We still have an obligation to vote. And uh, we will uh, do that as believers. And uh, we believe that you would bless the uh, results of that. And we just bring these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, just to, on my comment about the situation today, it's been said that if when a, a nation loses its soul, it loses its future. And I believe we are in the midst of that struggle here. Uh, we can already see the results of that in places like Europe. You know, Europe is falling apart. If you look at their constitution of the European community, it contains 70,000 words. Not one of those words is spelt G-O-D. God is out of the picture. We see what's happening there. We should be able to take a lesson from that and know 
that God is in control. Uh, New Testament Christians, for example, they live through uh, very oppressive times, you know, under Caesars, Herod, Nero, uh, Pontius Pilate, people like that. Christians were persecuted. They feared for their lives. They were killed for their faith. Uh, They had no rights at all. Yet Christianity flourished after that. Even the emperor came to belief at the end of that Roman period. And so we see there that God is in control. He used the emperor to change that. And we should pray that God will use something here to change that as well, to change our country's future. Uh, If you look at China, for example, which is nominally a communist country, but it is capitalist, and you'd be be surprised at how many believers it has. If you look at history, from the 18th century to the 19th, 20, 21st, Christianity moved from Europe, to the U.S., North America, and now it's moving to China. And you might pray for the believers in China because they are persecuted like the New Testament Christians. And so that makes us more aware of the fact that we have a problem here. And uh, we're not going to solve the problem by voting for the right president or the right uh, candidate in other uh, you know, state and local elections. The only way we can change the country is that we change, and we do it from the bottom up, not from the top down. It's not going to happen from the top down. We have to change and uh, get the message. So so why are we facing this challenge in defending uh, our faith? Well, according to the latest Barna polls, 26% of Christians don't think it matters which religion one follows. 26. Uh, 40% of Christians say Christians and Muslims worship the same God. You know, Shiram Hadian spoke on that uh, last month. You know, there is no such thing as a common word and a common God. Only 9% of adult Americans have a biblical worldview. Think of that. 9% know what a biblical worldview is and how we should live that truth. Only 34% of American adults believe in absolute truth. In other words, there's such a thing as absolute truth. When Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the, the way and the life and the truth. That's exclusive statement. And only 34% believe that. And what's more frightening is that only 9% of born-again teenagers believe absolute truth exists. 9%. You know, what's happening? There's a, there's a problem there. And for those of you that uh, have children that are in high school, going to college, it has been said by a survey that 60% of those folks, the young people, when they go to a secular college, walk away from their faith. 60%. How can that be? And I I submit that the problem is that they don't know what they believe, they don't know why they believe what they believe, and then they don't know how to defend what they believe. And so I believe we have uh, a challenge to uh, overcome those issues. Um, Number two, issue number two, we need to understand the reasons for the challenge. 
And I claim that one of the reasons is the indoctrination of our youth in secular humanism and evolution. You know, it's taught us fact, and this is what you need to believe. And more importantly for us, in some cases, the uh, high school kids are not getting answers to their hard questions from the church. Okay, and, and they're, they're said, well, uh, just take that on faith, you know. And that's not good enough for kids that are think, really thinkers. And so we need to address the, that challenge as well. Because if we don't give them the answers, they'll find an answer someplace else. You may not like the answer that they're going to find someplace else. So we are commanded in First Peter uh, 3.15, as you'll see our, our key verse, um, that we are to be ready to defend what we believe. Let's see if I could figure out this. Uh... Okay. Um, so, I'm sorry, back, back up one slide. If we can get back to the beginning of there. Okay. Um, so, first of all, we're going to look at the truth of our faith. You know, what is it that we believe? And we are commanded in 1 Peter 3.15 to be always ready to defend our faith, defend what we believe. That's just not for, for leaders. Uh, that's for everybody in, in the church. Um, we need to answer the question, what is the reason for the hope that we have in us? And we need to do it with meekness and fear. We can use our mind um, in, in logic to defend what we believe. And uh, Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So we need to be able to answer the questions put to us. Colossians 4, uh, 5 and 6, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And another verse I like is is First uh, Chronicles twelve verse thirty two, and uh, that you'll see that uh, the writer there was saying of Issachar, one of the tribes, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, two hundred chiefs, and all their kinsmen under their command. So. It's to understand the times, that we need to understand the times that we live in, and we need to exercise our biblical um, worldview and freedom and live, you know, as Christians as well. So we have an obligation there. Today we can uh, demonstrate that our faith is not blind, and I will do that, and it is based on facts and evidence. So we needn't be uh, frightened of that. Uh, we should look at the evidence. Well, first of all, we're going to look at the, the roadblocks. You know, what keeps people from faith? Because we have to understand that, else we don't know how to, um, you know, witness to them, be effective witness to them. And th- third, we're going to look at the evidence for the truth of our faith in many different categories here. It will just be a high-level overview, a lot of the details we won't have time to go into, 
And then fourth, uh, we should look to see what people in the Bible did to uh, live their faith by example. And then there's also modern examples of people, uh, skeptics, who have researched the Bible and found that it is true, and here's what they did with that truth. And then then finally, we'll end up by saying uh, we can know uh, our faith is true because of God's word and because of the evidence that he has left for us to understand that if we would study his word. If we don't study the word, of course, it's easy to get waylaid by a false uh, doctrine. So with that, um, and if you want to remember that I understand, uh, underline those five letters there, trees, one word to remember, trees. Think of the truth, roadblocks, evidence, example, and then surety of faith, trees. Okay, so what are the roadblocks to coming to faith? And uh, one, which is mentioned in uh, Hosea uh, 4, verse 6, is lack of knowledge. And if we don't study his word, you know, we're never going to have that knowledge. We're, we're not going to know why it is uh, what we believe and how to uh, defend it. Okay, second is uh, perceived hypocrisy. And that is turns out to be one of the major roadblocks, and I would say it's an excuse not to come to faith because they see so many uh, hypocrites, people that, that you know, talk about their faith, but then they don't walk their faith. So their walk does not match their talk. And that is a big stumbling block for a lot of people. They say, why would I just be, want to be another one of those hypocrites? I mean, I don't need that in my life. And so that's their excuse. And I would say you, you can't look at man, you've got to look at God for your faith. Third, turning away from sin. Uh, if I'm going to become a believer, I've got to turn away from what I, I'm doing because you know, I, I know it's sinful, but I can't give it up. And, and so I'm not going to come to faith. Uh, fourth, pain and suffering and the evil people see in the world. You know, people see so much evil in the world and uh, people see... You know, the fallen nature of man, as particularly in our candidates as well, and they said, you know, if God is who he is, and if he's an all-loving God and an all-powerful God, then why do we have so much pain and suffering? Why do we have so much evil in the world? And that, the Christian faith has the answer to that, and, uh, you know, other belief systems, uh, of course, do not. Um, And uh, five, a very big one, and we're addressing that this coming weekend when we have these speakers coming in, the perceived conflict between science and the Bible. Uh, people portray this as a battle between science on one hand and the Bible on the other hand. They said, well, the, the, the Bible is not a book of, of uh, science. Yes, it's a uh, book of moral uh, laws and all that, but science and the Bible, they just don't agree. Well, but they haven't looked at the facts. They'd be surprised what they find in the Bible. Uh, and then part of that, of course, is the, the whole battle between creation and evolution. How did we get here? Creation through creation, as the Bible says, or through evolution? And then uh, as a scientist, I look at the, the, the uh, evidence that God left and say, look at what does the evidence support? Does it support evolution? No. Does it support creation? Yes. 
And we don't have example, uh, time to go into that here. And I actually gave a, a talk yesterday on that very topic um, at Missions Fest. And, and so, you know, those messages are out there, how they agree with each other. And then the sixth one I mentioned before, no answers from the church to the hard questions. And so, again, our challenge is if, if we don't answer those questions or attempt to answer those questions or even acknowledge that, yes, there's, there's some perceived problems there, then they're going to get their uh, questions answered uh, someplace else. So we need to be aware of that uh, as well. Okay, so then what evidence do we have and, uh, you know, for the truth of our faith? And um, to me, of course, it's always been very important, you know, with a, with a science background and with a Christian belief background, very strong uh, belief by my parents and Gerda's parents. And so we have good examples. And, but when I went to university, I was challenged with this, you know, well, the Bible and science don't agree. Just believe the science. Well, it turns out science changes over time dramatically. And uh, we'll see that in the uh, Seattle Creation Conference, too, when we have speakers on that very topic. So what evidence do we have for the truth of the Bible? And sometimes people use classical arguments like, uh, you know, there is a beginning to the universe, so what was the cause of that beginning? They use the example of a design. You look at the complexity of the universe and, uh, you know, the star system, the galaxies and planets and all that. Uh, could that just happen by chance? You have to ask that question. And, and then the moral argument. If there's a moral law, then who is the moral lawgiver? I mean, that doesn't just happen either. So arguments like that have been used classically. Yes, that is evidence for God. That is not proof for God. And then... We, then, and then we take the, uh, the Bible. Uh, what evidence do we have in that? Um, it's often said by, by a Russian astronaut many years ago now, he was out in space and he didn't see God, so he says God doesn't exist. Well, absence of abstinence is not absence of fact. So that doesn't prove anything, really. And so our faith is not blind. Uh, we can show that the Bible has the truth and that what we observe in, our nat- in uh, God's creation here is real and matches what the Bible says. Because, again, you have to recognize and challenge to me always has been, well, if God is who he says he is, then his uh, general revelation must match his special revelation, which is the Bible. They have to match. We may not understand all aspects of that yet, but over time, you'd be surprised what we have found out as scientists. As a scientist, I'm not afraid of what science will find out, because more and more evidence supports the message of the Bible. It supports the creation model. It does not support evolution. And, uh, you know, your, your children are taught in school, public schools, that evolution is a fact. That's, you know, it's impossible. And, uh, you know, we can show the science that does not uh, uh, do that. So, again, Jesus is God. Jesus lived a sinless life. In uh, Matthew 16, 15, 16, 
where he, Jesus said to Peter, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's a statement there. Nothing to refute that there. And Jesus made that exclusive statement in John 14, 6. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an exclusive statement. That's an absolute truth. So when Chrislam says there's a common God and a common word, that's not true because they just conflict each other. You can't have contradictions like that. Uh, and then he said in Matthew twelve forty, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus prophesied that he would die and that he would rise from the grave. Did he do that? Yes. The evidence is overwhelming. In fact, a number of skeptics have taken on a challenge to try and disprove the fact that he rose from the grave. And as a result of their research, they came to the conclusion that it was real. The evidence is there. And uh, so they came to believe. And, of course, those are people who sometimes turn out to be the best apologists because they understand what they didn't believe. And now that they looked at the facts, they know what they believe. So Jesus was sinless. Uh, he was crucified. He, he was buried. And he did rise from the grave. Uh, second thing, what about prophecies? Well, the, the Bible is rather unique in terms of so-called holy books. There are about 300 holy, so-called holy books in the world, and only the Bible has prophecies that have come true. All the others, there, there is no example of that. Book of Mormon makes prophecies, not doesn't come true. Jehovah Witnesses, the leaders claim that Christ would come back certain dates, and when that date wasn't met, they picked another date. Those are false prophets. And, and so all of those books out there, they don't have, most of them just don't have any prof- prophecies at all. The Bible, it may be surprised, has more than a thousand prophecies. Uh, 300 of those by the coming of Christ. In the first coming, 109 were fulfilled. The second coming, the rest will certainly be fulfilled. And then there's uh, 700 other prophecies about people, nations, events that would happen. And you know, a large number of those have already been fulfilled. One that is commonly referenced is in uh, uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 26, where seven specific prophecies are fulfilled in the city of Tyre. You read that and you look at the history of Tyre, and they've been fulfilled exactly uh, as prophesied. Um, the, the scattering of the Jews you know, was prophesied in the, the Old Testament. The regathering of the Jews was prophesied. And, of course, we know that came to be true in 1948. What about believers who lived before 1948 and then doubted? But you have to remember that the Jewish people are the only people that are recognized as Jewish because of their, not just because of what they believe, but also because of their culture. And so you'll, you'll see a, a Russian Jew, you'll, you'll see um, a Canadian Jew or an Ethiopian Jew. You know, they're all Jews. They're recognized as Jews. Um, I'm from a Dutch background. Okay, I'm recognized as Dutch. 
My children don't think of themselves as being Dutch very much, and their children, in turn, they'll be integrated into the uh, wherever they live, in this case of the U.S. They're not remembered as, as Dutch after a while. Uh, so the Jews are very special people, and uh, God did fulfill his promises in uh, prophecies in his own people there. Uh, so of the a thousand or more uh, prophecies in the Bible, half of them have already been fulfilled, more than 500. You know, how remarkable is that? And so the probability, the mathematical probability of all these things happening is uh, essentially zero. It just cannot happen. And, uh, you know, there's many more examples which we don't have time to go into here. But uh, the, the next one is, you know, the fact that Christ did rise from the grave. Because the resurrection, after all, is the foundation of our faith. You know, as, as Paul says in First Corinthians verse uh, chapter 15, you know, without um, the resurrection, you know, if Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Our faith is nothing if the resurrection didn't happen. And we have evidence that it did happen as recorded in the um, New Testament. Uh, Christ prophesied himself, you know, and going back to Matthew twelve thirty nine forty, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he compares it to Jonah. And of course we know from history that he, he did die and he was uh, resurrected and uh, he lives uh, yet. So Paul emphasized the importance of that and uh, you know sometimes people look at that empty tomb and say well there's other explanations for that. It could have been the body was stolen. It could have been that the body was moved or just put in the wrong tomb or a swoon theory or a hallucination theory. There's about a half dozen different theories that people have but if you go through them None of them hold water. None of them have been shown to be true. So the empty tomb is definitely, you know, the witness that Christ is risen from the dead. Four, the Bible is God's word. How do we know that this is God speaking? If we look at Hebrew 1, verse 1 to 2, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So he spoke to us through the prophets, and then uh, physically the son being here, he spoke through the son. And that's how we know that it is God uh, speaking. Uh, The Bible is comprised of 66 different books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, written on three different continents, written in three different languages, Hebrew, um, Aramaic, and Greek. And yet, they, and they're written over 1,500 uh, years, written by d- people with different backgrounds, 40 different authors, uh, all the way from, you know, fishermen, even the lowly taxman and kings and prophets, you know, written by different people with different backgrounds. And yet, they tell one story. It's a coherent, consistent story. How, people will say, well, how were these books decided upon? Uh, when did they hold a vote on that? Well, they didn't vote on that. They were accepted by five different recognized tests throughout the Bible. And uh, 
So they're recognized by the fact that the book either was written by a prophet of God. Now you can identify those books. It uh, was the writer confirmed by the acts of God. Did God use that writer in his message? Did the message tell the truth about God? And you'll see, you know, that answer the question why some apocryphal books were not accepted. Because they, they just didn't match. They were written later, after the, uh, you know, second, third century. So well after the, uh, all the other, you know, all the books of the Bible were written. They didn't match the truth of the Bible. So they were not accepted. And of course they weren't written by prophets or anybody with eyewitnesses. Uh, does it come with the power of God? And was it accepted by the people of God? And if you look at history, you'll see that all the 39 books of the Old Testament, they're always accepted as part of the Old Testament canon. They didn't have a magic vote later on to show that. They were accepted by these tests. Um, you know, the Bible tells us, of course, God cannot lie. And uh, Hebrews 6.18. Uh, so, and Jesus affirms the Old Testament, too. In Matthew 5, 17, 18, for example, do, you, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not, uh, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Extra biblical writings confirm the truth of the Bible in history, in geography, um, archaeology, you know, the nations that it mentions. If you apply archaeology, for example, to the book, uh, to the Bible, you'll see that all of the findings that are relevant to the Bible you know, have been found and prove the, the truth of what's in the Bible. If you apply the same test, for example, to a, a modern belief system, Mormonism, and uh, we, we had a speaker from uh, an ex-Mormon speaking as well at the missions conference yesterday, and he confirmed, you know, archaeology... Uh, tells us nothing about the contents of the Book of Mormon. Nothing. The Hill of Cumorah, the, the Golden Plates, uh, the, the Neophytes, there's no record of that at all. It's just all created in Joseph Smith's mind. And so it doesn't tell the truth. And, uh, and yet these books written uh, 3,500 years uh, ago, they tell the truth. You know, and we can confirm that. So that brings us to the next point, uh, which is archaeology. And archaeology became a uh, activity, a science, just in the uh, probably the mid-1800s or so. People started digging up, looking for uh, artifacts, uh, particularly in the, in, as applies to the Bible and the Holy Lands, the lands mentioned in the Bible. And that includes, of course, Israel, uh, Jordan, and all the, the lands surrounding Israel and Egypt, and then uh, in Europe as well, in Greece and in Italy. All of those places have artifacts which relate to the Bible. In all cases, they found that those artifacts you know, verify the truth of the Bible. Uh, and, and so these are very important finds. They tell us about people, events, nations, places, and geography. I mean, Luke, for example, is regarded as one of the best historians. He wrote the book of uh, Acts. And also, of course, the gospel according to Luke. And the very first verses he says, you know, these are, uh, he, he himself was not an eyewitness, but he talked to eyewitness for all of these events that he records. And he records something like 32 different uh, 
countries and islands and uh, places and titles of people, all of them have been verified to be true, despite what the skeptics said. You know, they've all been shown to be true. So he's regarded as a very accurate historian, and that gives us a lot of credence in the accuracy of his word. Two of the best finds in archaeology, uh, and that all happened in the last century, was the Dead Sea Scrolls, found in 1948 in the um, uh, caves uh, right by the Dead Sea, the Qumran Caves, you know, 11 different caves, and they found copies of old manuscripts. Um, All the books of the Old Testament, except for the book of Esther, at least so far, but all those books, they have copies of manuscripts, multiple manuscripts, and that debunks many of the claims that the skeptics had before then. This is regarded as the, as the most important archaeological find in the 20th century. The, the um, uh, manuscripts that were found in the Qumran case. And why is that? Well, because they were dated to be 125 B.C., many of them. And that is... Uh, remarkably, that's before the time of Christ. There are no New Testament books, uh, manuscripts found there. That was before the New Testament was uh, recorded there. But before, for example, the, the book of Isaiah, the oldest copy that we had, we obviously don't have the original, was 1100 A.D. 1100 A.D. So when skeptics said, well, the prophet Isaiah, uh, when he prophesied the coming of the Messiah, that, that wasn't done back then. That was written after the time of Christ. Look at the earliest book you have is from 1100 A.D. Well, in the Qumran caves, they found a copy of the manuscript about 100 B.C. written by the prophet Isaiah. And, of course, now scholars with multiple copies before B.C. and also the New Testament, they can compare the contents of all of these manuscripts. And guess what? They're largely the same. There's about 1% difference. But most of that difference is because of the change in the Hebrew language over that 1,200 period of time. So minor changes because of the language. And yes, there were some um, scribal errors. You know, you know, an I wasn't dotted or a T wasn't crossed and, uh, or some letter was missing. But there's no doctrine that would be, have to be changed because of their finding. So it is regarded as a very important um, find because of that. And, and so it verifies the truth of the Bible. And, of course, we can do that with all the books of the Bible, uh, of the Old Testament, that is, through that mechanism, through the Qumran cave uh, manuscripts, um, because scholars can now compare it. And scholars have now said that the... The the um, Bible that we have today is probably about ninety nine point nine percent accurate, and anything that, and there's nothing that would change any Christian doctrine because of the findings. It verifies the truth of the books of the Bible. So when skeptics said, "Well, Isaiah wrote the prophecies of Christ before, or, or sorry, after the time of Christ," not true. I mean, the earlier manuscripts verify the fact that that was written by the prophet Isaiah and that they were fulfilled in Christ's coming. Um, and then the second most important find was the Ebla 
tablets found in northern Syria in 1974. And uh, that records a uh, history of the Hittites. Remember I said, well, skeptics said the Hittites never existed. We have no record of them. Well, in the Abla tablets, the tablets record uh, the fact that the Hittites did exist as a people. And also, more importantly, the tablets uh, documented writing about a thousand years before the time of Moses. So that when the skeptics say, well, Moses couldn't have written the first five books of the Bible because he couldn't even write back then. Well, we know from the book of Acts, of course, that he was trained in the courts of the pharaohs, and so definitely, uh, you know, he could write, and writing was in vogue at the time. So there's no question, you know, that he could write the first five books of the Bible. And then a third thing that I mentioned at the beginning said Sodom and Gomorrah never existed. So again, these uh, tablets record the names of about 5,000 ancient cities and towns and villages. And among them is the five cities of the plain, you know, recorded in Genesis 14, verse 2, Sodom and Gomorrah and the other three as well. So again, the uh, skeptics are proven uh, wrong. So, um, secular history also confirms the biblical record uh, for the Old Testament. For the New Testament, we have more than 24,000 copies of the uh, New Testament books, manuscripts, 24,000. And so, again, scholars can take all these manuscripts, compare them with each other for each of the books of the New Testament, and verify the accuracy and truth of that. Uh, so, again, a very, very important element of that. What, how we help deter, determine whether the books of the New Testament are accurate and true, two things. One, how many copies of the book do we have? If you compare that with some of the secular books, you know, even Homer, the, uh, the Iliad, and, and some books from Caesar, we, we have like five to ten copies of that. Do we believe that they recorded history? Well, people do. So if you have 24,000, 25,000, I think it's close to 25,000 now, what are you going to do with that? And we have a lot of manuscripts to compare with. So we can be certain in the accuracy of those um, manuscripts. The second test is how close is the earliest copy that we have to the original. And what scholars have, or archaeologists have found now is the fact that there are segments of the book of John uh, which have been found, and they exactly match what we have today. And one segment was uh, recorded around 120, 130 B.C., or sorry, 80, after uh, uh, time after Christ. And uh, we believe the book of John was written 90, even as late as 90 A.D. Uh, you know, still there's only 30 or 40 years be, between that. And uh, you know, if you look at some of the secular books, we don't have a copy, um, earliest copy around 1,000 A.D. or 1,200 A.D., and yet, we believe those. Why wouldn't we believe the Gospel of John and some other books? Uh, in fact, the accuracy of archaeology has been so great that archaeologists now, even if they're not believers, they'll use the Bible as a guide because they understand that the Bible is accurate. So they use that as a guide to determine where they're going to uh, dig next for another um, artifact. So archaeology is very important in confirming the truth of the Bible. And then I come to science. And uh, 
I, I could talk forever on this, of course, but we don't have time to do that now. Science supports creation is my, uh, what I believe. And if I look at the science behind the um, Bible, what the Bible says, uh, it does support creation much better than evolution. It just doesn't support any of the evolution uh, theory. And I often use uh, Genesis 1 verse 1 as an example of that. You know, you remember the, the Greeks thought everything could be explained in terms of water, uh, air, and earth, and fire to convert from one to the other. Those four things. Do we know that's true? No, I don't think so. People don't believe that anymore. There's a guy, uh, um, Herbert Spencer, who was a colleague of Darwin. Uh, he came up with the, the scientific idea that everything could be explained in terms of space, matter, time, force, and action. Those five things. He was given an award for that in 1903. If you read the first verse of Genesis, in the beginning, that's time. God, that's force. Created, that's action. The heavens, that's space. And the earth, that's matter. How did Moses get that right? Moses was taught in the courts of the pharaohs. So he knew all the old Egyptian myths, the Greek myths. Did any of that find its way into the Bible? None. None of it. And so there is good evidence right there for the truth of the Bible. Um, you know, skeptics will say, well, the, the Bible is just a, a, uh, a moral argument. It's just uh, morality and, and theology. But no, it contains a whole lot more. It contains scientific statements that have been shown by science to be true. And, uh, and I, I can give you a lot of examples of that, but probably uh, one that people can re- relate to is, is the fact that, you know, sometimes people call us flat earthers or, you know, your, 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 the Christians way back then thought the earth was flat. Well, if you look at Isaiah 40, verse 22, for example, you know, it talks about the circle of the earth and he hangs the earth on nothing. I mean, Earth is out in space there. What's, what's holding it up? You know, the Egyptians said it's, it's on the back of a turtle. You know, just, it just it's laying on a, a huge turtle. And when the turtle moves, well, that's, that's just an earthquake. But, you know, that's not the way it is. And so the Bible says he hangs the Earth on nothing. And we know that's true. I mean, it's out there in space that's hanging on nothing. Well, we are out there in space. And uh, so, again, the Bible is true when you look at that. Uh, if you look at um, you know, evolution, for example, evolution, it talks about everything started from one living cell. And, uh, it, you know, and we're told in science, and we know this is true in science, that uh, a cell divides into two du- duplicates, exact copy, four, eight, 16, 32 exact copies. And then all of a sudden, some of these cells start turning into other kinds of cells. You know, our body has over 200 different kinds of cells. And uh, when did this cell start turning into a skin cell or a bone cell or a blood cell or any other kind of cell? It was 200 different kinds. If it didn't start at the right time, well, we wouldn't be talking about that. We wouldn't be here. Because if it's just random, you know, 
we wouldn't be here. So my, my submission is that the, the only difference between living matter and non-living matter is one thing, and that's information. And that information is in our DNA. Well, where did all the information come from? And how is it controlled? You know, when does it decide to start forming a scene cell? It's got to be exactly at the right time. Because if it's not, you know, we'd be misfits. If it had happened randomly, it wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be here. So it's, it has data and it's programmed. There's programs in the DNA. So that's just, just one example. And, and, of course, that gets into the whole um, you know, evolution versus creation discussion, but we, we won't go into that. Just to, to say that evolution just does not have any science behind it, any science, and we can show that from facts. Um, so that, then the, the uh, other part of that, and I mentioned this briefly already, that the Bible is reliable scientifically. And I mentioned there's uh, at least 100 scientific statements that can be uh, pointed to in the Bible that are totally accurate according to science. But back a few hundred years ago, you know, we didn't know. People didn't know if they were true. Some facts we just didn't know. Hydrological cycle, for example, where, you know, water comes from the ocean and the lake evaporates and then into a cloud of water, which is billions of tons in weight. How is that held up there in the first place? You know, it just can't happen by chance. And, and then it falls on the, you know, the, the rain and the lightning interact, and, and uh, we have uh, per, uh, uh, precipitation, and that comes on the land, and then the water comes back where it started. Ecclesiastics chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, describes the hydrological cycle. It doesn't use those words, but it clearly is. But man didn't come to understand that in science until the 1700s or so. So there are statements in the Bible which are scientifically true, and yet people back then didn't, couldn't prove it uh, because science didn't find these things out till much later. I mean, the DNA in the cell, for example, you, you can't see that unless you have an electron microscope. Darwin didn't even see that. He just thought, you know, life was a, the cells were just a blob and somehow duplicated. Uh, no explanation of how, but he, he says eventually science will find that out. Well, it can't happen that way. So we, we trust the Bible for spiritual truth. Um, and here we ask the question, well, what about in the disciplines of science, uh, such as biology, hydrology, meteorology, uh, geophysics, are there statements in there that are true? And yes, many statements, and they're all proven to be true, most of them now. There's some that still you know, need more explanation. You know, one that you can uh, relate to, I think, is in, uh, in Genesis. Moses writes that the male child is to be circumcised on day eight. Why day eight? Well, science didn't have a clue. Uh, back then. So why didn't he say, um, well, you can circumcise on day six or day 10 or, or some other number? No. And it's, scientists now know that the, the um, blood clotting uh, element, prothrombin, is at its maximum on day eight. The, humini- the, the um, uh, 
the, the strength of the immune system of the baby is at a maximum on day eight. How did he get that right? I mean, that's inspired. It wasn't, uh, you know, I guess work on his part uh, just couldn't happen. Okay, so th- there's more to say on that, but we won't do that right now. And then how do we explain the evil and pain and suffering we see in the world? Well, again, it's only the Bible has an explanation for that. You know, it's because of the fall. And man is, you know, suffering because of the fall. And uh, that can be that can and is explained in God's word. If you look at the other writings, you know, Indian writings, Greek writings, Egyptian writings, um, the other so-called holy books, they have no explanation of this. And uh, the evolutionists, for example, just, well, death is part of the nature. You know, you have to have death because else people, the um, living organisms wouldn't reproduce and, and, uh, so, and so on. But that's not a true explanation. The other thing that uh, I should mention as well is if you look back in the history, you know, look at who founded the disciplines of science. Many of these disciplines were founded in the 1600s, 1700s, you know, a lot later than we thought they would be. Uh, the greatest scientist of the last few hundred, uh, f- uh, last few centuries is regarded uh, Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton is regarded as the, the br- most brilliant scientist. He, of course, did discover the law of gravity, uh, planetary motion, and a whole bunch of other things that he discovered and wrote about. Uh, very significant books on that. And yet what they don't know is that he wrote more words and commentaries on the books of the Bible than he wrote on theology. And yet people want to you know, dismiss the fact. I mean, imagine if Isaac Newton were here today and wanted to become an you know, innovative scientist. How far would he get in this environment? You know, he'd have a, a difficult time, but he persevered and, and he wrote those. There are about a, a hundred different scientific disciplines which, if you look back in history, were founded by Bible-believing uh, creationists. They believed in creation. They believed God's word. And they said, we're, we're trying to think God's thoughts after him. Many of the, these founders uh, said that. So that is the evidence that we have for the truth of our faith. So then, then we have uh, uh, examples Okay, how did people defend their faith? Well, you know, you go back to the uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. All those people that were mentioned in patriarchs from Abel to uh, Moses and Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, etc. And uh, we are, told, we are uh, instructed in the chapter 12 that we should, re, you know, we have been surrounded by all these great witnesses. And uh, we should run the race to endurance uh, that was set before us. Look unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And so we have, you know, these five biblical models. I mean, Jesus tells us, and I've read this verse before, Matthew 22, uh, you shall love the uh, Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. In other words, we can use our reason. We are told to reason. God has given us a, a mind that can reason. Uh, Peter gives an example. 
uh, you know, at the crucifixion. Uh, Paul gives many examples, uh, and, and he says we should bring every thought captive, in 2 Corinthians 10.5. Um, he warns us in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Chapter 17 in Acts, of course, is a very uh, famous chapter where Paul reasoned with them, that there's the Jews in the synagogue with the scriptures. Uh, he uh, talks to the, uh, uh, or commends the Bereans for examining the scriptures by themselves. In other words, Paul says, don't believe what I told you. Go search the scriptures yourself and see if it's true. And um, I, I say the same thing. You know, I've said a lot of things in this service. You know, don't take my word for it. Go back to the scriptures and verify that. Go back to the references to even scientific events of the past and see if that's true. I mean, you shouldn't just take one person's word for that. You need to study it yourself and be convinced yourself. And there's some people that, uh, in that, in today's age, um, you know, I list five of them here. Some of these names you know, but these people all came to faith um, at least the first three came to faith because they were going to, they were atheists, skeptics. They want to disprove the truth of their scriptures, and when they did their research, they came to the conclusion that the scriptures indeed are true. Anthony Flew, uh, a famous uh, English philosopher and atheist, he wrote a book called "There Is No God" some fifty years ago, and he was a, he was an atheist until. Um, I believe about 10, 15 years ago, and then finally convinced by the design argument that there, there's a designer behind all that, and he came to belief. And then he wrote another book called There Is a God. So there's an interesting transformation. But then, you know, these are examples of people that came to faith, but it is the parents who are ultimately the best example I mean, we are instructed as parents to teach our children the truth. You know, we shouldn't depend on the church. We shouldn't depend on schools, even if it's a Christian school or a home school, um, you know, or even an apologist. We, as parents, are responsible ultimately for the faith of our children. And I can give you many examples where people, you know, um, have come to me after some of my talks, and said, well, I wish I knew some of this before and I could have instructed my children. So don't wait till it's too late. So we can have uh, surety in our faith. We do have the evidence. I talked about prophecy, archaeology, history, geography. You know, they, they all uh, show the truth of our faith, even in science. Truth does match reality. Our truth, the, the God's word, does match reality. And I've given you many examples of that. When I talk to skeptics, I ask them the question there, does what you believe to be true match reality? And some of you may remember the uh, debate I had with a, an atheist over here in the Lutheran Church a number of years ago. And uh, I, I, of course, spoke in defense of God's word, and he spoke against it. I said, okay, you believe something different? What do you base it on? It's just wishful thinking. It has, has no basis. It has no basis. So it's important that we know that our Bible is truth. Our faith is rational. 
um, we won't take time at the you know, so-called biblical errors, but all of the alleged biblical errors, particularly from the point of science, theology, and history, have been shown to be false. So, you know, they're not really errors. So we should now be ready to answer atheists and skeptics. You know, we have the information. And it's important for us as parents, you know, to use that information in the instruction of our children, too. I mean, there's a number of verses which I have on here that uh, uh, give reference to that. And by the way, I know you can't take notes as fast, so um, know that all of these slides and my notes will be on uh, my website. They're all there. Uh, all the lectures I do, they're on my website. I'm not trying to hide anything. It's, it's all there out in the open. I can be challenged. I am challenged from different parts of the world, and I gladly answer them. And uh, that is what we should be doing as well, uh, even with our own, uh, and particularly with our own children. So in summary then, you know, we can be confident uh, of our faith. We need to remember, though, we can't know everything perfectly. I don't know everything perfectly. Some questions I can't answer, but I can probably point you to somebody that can give you an answer for that. Um, so it does not follow that we can't know anything for certain. You know, we have enough things that we know for certain. Um, it, when I talked to skeptics, I said, what would it take you to believe? If I showed you this piece of evidence, would you believe? No, I need another piece. You know, there's always one more piece of evidence that they need. But I claim that I have enough evidence for the truth of the Bible to believe. Um, so with that, you know, I hope you're uh, ready to defend uh, what you believe, too. You know, when your children ask or when skeptics ask, and if not, you know, study the word and be ready to defend what you believe. There are many good sources for that, a lot of websites that have answers, you know, you can point to, to them. You know, when I get a hard question, I will do, you know, look at some of those websites that contain those kinds of answers, those questions and answers. So there's a lot of information out there, but you have to apply a filter to that, of course. You have to make sure you know where the writer is coming from because you don't want to follow the wrong uh, advice there. So, and as Ken Ham uh, from Answers in Genesis summarized, says, imagine what would happen if churches began raising up generations of people who knew how to defend their faith. If we knew, if we all knew how to defend our faith, and if we, if Christians all voted according to their faith, we, we wouldn't be where we are. So it's up to us to change things from the bottom up, because we know the leaders are not going to change unless God changes their heart. And so we don't look for them to them for a solution. We should look to ourselves to build a just and uh, a righteous generation so we can be the witness and uh, the light to our neighbors and our skeptics. So with that, let me uh, uh, close in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this time we could have with your word. We thank you for the evidence you have left so we can share that with our colleagues, our friends, our skeptics, our even atheist friends. And because when people really do look at the truth of, of our faith, they will understand that you are the truth. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.